scripture reading this morning is from Psalm, or is Psalm 90. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the, the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Our Father and our God, we do want the peoples to praise you from this hall this morning in Nevada City all the way to the ends of the earth as the sun uh, travels its course around the globe today. Uh, may men and women and boys and girls uh, glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, come to us, O God, by your Holy Spirit. Uh, awaken us in this new year to your greatness and your glory. And now, uh, by your word, uh, through your Spirit, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Open again to Psalm 90, and you have an insert there in your, your uh, handout. Uh, we're gathered on this first day of the new year uh, to hear from God, and it's my privilege to give you a word of encouragement from this ancient text. Uh, whether you're young or old or whether you're married or not married or wish you weren't married or whatever status of life you're in, you might be full of health, you might be full of fears, you might be comfortable, you might be very uncomfortable. God knows every heart, every situation as we come to him this morning. And I think the greatest thing I could do to you, with you, is give you something from the Word of God. There's so many books out there, aren't there? But it's God's book that we need to hear and know the most because God is our maker. The one who gives us this Word is the one who made us. It's the owner's 
manual. So as we open, we realize that these are not just uh, human good advices, but they're God's very words who's made us in his own image. And what we have here in Psalm 90 is the testimony of a man who has walked with God for 120 years. You remember at his birth, he was placed in a basket on the Nile River and protected there in the hand of God. He grew up a young man, a prince of Egypt, with every opportunity and every privilege as a son of the Pharaoh. And then for 40 years, approximately uh, ages 40 to 80, he was in exile. He was there in the desert. He was uh, stranded far from uh, home and uh, growing with wife and family and uh, who knows about all those years. But at the age of 80, uh, God appeared to him. Remember that burning bush. And then for the last 40 years of his life, he was the uh, pastor of a mega church who was hated by most of his parishioners. He was a, a political leader who was reviled by most of the citizens. He struggled with trials and temptations and the difficulty of leadership. And then on his final day, he climbed Mount Nebo and watched the people of God walk into the promised land. And the Bible says his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And so here was a man that lived an amazingly full-orbed life. And I would say the banner over the, the life of Moses would be, God is good all the time. And I think most of us with some gray hair on our heads could say the same thing. What can we learn from Psalm 90? Well, I have three points I want to share. First of all, God is glorious. That was the message of the angels to the shepherds there in Bethlehem, wasn't it? Glory to God in the highest. But not only was it sung in Bethlehem, it's the message that is stretched across the whole Bible. The glory of God from Genesis to Revelation. And Moses was keenly aware of that glory. Remember, he had a front row seat for those ten plagues. Remember, he walked through the Red Sea. Remember, he sat with Yahweh on Mount Sinai for 40 days, basking in the glory of God. And so we see that the glory of God, verse 1, is seen everywhere. In fact, God had been our dwelling place through all generations. Remember the Apostle Paul preached in Athens to a bunch of philosophers and he said to them, God made from one man every nation of mankind to fill the face of the earth and determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places so that perhaps they might reach out and find him. He's not far from every one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. 
And so the glory of God is seen everywhere. And we see that God is sovereign from our first to our final breath. Whether we're in calamity or we found the cure, whether we're in a sunshine or storm, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And God fills this universe, but he at the same time stands outside the universe. He's not bound by the universe. He spoke it into existence. He didn't materialize himself to become the universe. He is the God who is transcendent, far above the universe, as well as the God who's imminent, closer than a brother, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we see the glory of God, God who made this universe. Can you imagine 200 billion galaxies? And each of those galaxies has a billion stars. Can you imagine that some of those galaxies are 12 billion light years away? And a light year is 6 trillion miles. Now, I'm just giving you some facts that I don't understand. But it's the awesomeness and the glory of God himself. The glory of God is everlasting. Verse 2, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We name mountains after famous people, don't we? But it won't be long before those famous people don't even are no longer remembered. We can't even know the names behind those mountains. But Moses is saying that when the mountains are forgotten, God will still be glorified. God will still be known. God will still be remembered. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Verse 4, for a thousand years... In your sight are like a day that has just gone by. So it's the glory of God. He'll never get tired. He'll never retire. He'll never grow old. He's timeless, forever, eternal, omniscient, unchanging. He'll never improve. He'll never have a new thought. He'll never forget a thought. God is eternal and has known all from everlasting to everlasting. And Moses, remember, had a passion for this glory. Remember in Exodus 33, as he cries out to God, please show me your glory. And God answers, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you, and proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And he says, but you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That's my second point. The God of glory declares that we are guilty. The God of glory declares that we are guilty. 
We can't see him and live. A millisecond of the glory of God would consume us. We couldn't stand for a moment in the presence of this God. He is too awesome. We are sinners by character, and we sin by choice. And there's no distinction. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Moses watched the throng of Israel pass over into the promised land and did not go in as he would reflect on his own sin that kept him out. And you see, the the glory of God is a scary thing. Verse 5, you sweep away men in their sleep of death. They're like new grass on the morning And in the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. If you want to know the quality of God most often described in the Bible, it is holy, holy, holy. And it's a consuming, glorious holiness that we can never stand before in ourselves. He's dwelling in inapproachable light. He's pure. He's sinless. He's true. He's righteous. But remember in the garden, our parents thought they knew better. Remember how they were welcomed into the garden. God said, enjoy all of it. Every tree, every treasure... But there was a warning amidst the welcome. Don't go after that tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. I think that tree was a symbol of God's lordship saying to our parents, I'm going to tell you what's good and bad, right and wrong, true and false, and allow my sovereign wisdom to guide you. I think that's the same reason the Bible ends with a warning and revelation. Don't take anything away or add anything to the Word of God because He alone has wisdom for us. But they knew better, didn't they? It looked so good. And if we ate it, our eyes would be opened and we'd be like God. Well, sort of like God. It's true their eyes were opened. But God loves the good and hates the evil. Sadly, our eyes have been opened, but we're just the opposite. We're every way different from God. And so that forbidden fruit is a denial of his lordship, a refusal to follow him. And that's why it's God's word alone that is only the always true truth. But isn't it interesting with all the voices, all the truths, everybody today is saying, I want to tell you my truth. I want to tell you my truth. Isn't it interesting that the truth least heard is the truth from God? 2,000 years after the first Christmas, Jesus Christ remains 
the most admired person, but the most ignored person as well. Because we've all got our own truth. Verse 8, you've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. We fly away. But God isn't going anywhere. The eternal, glorious God is from everlasting to everlasting. Remember, Jacob was presented to the Pharaoh as Joseph brought the family over into the land of Egypt. And when he met Pharaoh, old Jacob blessed him. And the Pharaoh said, how old are you? And Jacob says, I'm 130 years old, and my years have been few and difficult. We pass away with a moan, the struggles of life. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Isn't that a great question, verse 11? Who knows the power of God's anger? I don't know the answer in California, but I know the answer in China. Not a lot of people. They're too busy. There's too much going on. Do you know all the apps you can get these days? You know all the Marvel movies that you can watch these days? You know all the stuff that you can fill your life with? Who has time For God, who knows the power of his anger? But it was said long ago that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. God's judgment is to be feared, especially if you're not ready. Even worse, if you've never thought about it. And thirdly, the God of glory, and here's some hope, gives grace to the guilty. Remember, this Psalm 90 was 1,500 years before the first Christmas. And 1,500 years later, God sent his Son. But the theme of the Bible has been the same throughout. Salvation is by grace, through faith, through God who saves us. That's the good news that Moses knew. That's the good news that was proclaimed even in the Garden of Eden. And isn't it interesting that this Psalm 90 really divides up into those three points? The glory of God, the guilt of all of us, And thirdly, grace from God. Because that's what we need. We need to behold his glory, but if we seriously behold his glory, we'll realize how far short of it we've fallen. And therefore, we need some hope. And I think we've got some practical suggestions throughout the Bible. 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. John says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And let me just close quickly with these four takeaways from the last part of Psalm 90. First of all, we need to reflect on our lives. Are you doing that with me right now? I hope so. Are you still with me in this message? Are you reflecting on your own life? Because verse 12 says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now Moses is not recommending a mathematics course. He's not telling you to fill out Sudoku puzzles to save yourself from senility. Moses is rather saying, number, reckon, think, reflect. Think about your life. Think about your life. Dana and I have been on a road trip for 13,000 miles. We've driven from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, and down to Georgia and back here to California and caught up with friends that we haven't seen for 30 or 40 years and classmates and uh, colleagues and all kinds of friends over the years. And, you know, as we've seen them, the truth of God is borne out in their children's and grandchildren and great-grandchildren's lives. If you seek first the kingdom of God, He'll add all the blessings of life onto you. If you desire God above all, He'll fill you with all of His blessings. That's so simple, so obvious, but it's just lived out. Can't you see it, friends? We've been around the block a few times. We've watched the course of our lives, the course of our children's lives, the course of our grandchildren's lives. The Bible is so obviously clear. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that the promise of God is for you and for all who call upon the name of the Lord? God has mercy. But we often turn the other way. We decide to build a great mansion, but it's built on sand. And when the storms of life come, it collapses. But the wise person who's built their house upon the rock is going to get some terrible storms and maybe even a few snowstorms. But that house will stand. And that's the promise of God. That's the grace of God. And so Moses is reflecting on his own life experiences and basically saying, you're going to fall down. But if you call upon the name of the Lord, he'll get you up. And secondly, we need to think about returning to God. Relent, O Lord. How long, verse 13, 
How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And here's the conundrum of the Bible. How can a just God, this holy God, this glorious God, this fearsome God, accept a sinner like me, who's fallen so very short of his glory? Remember, as Moses was there in the glory of Sinai, he was instructed about a tabernacle and a priesthood and a sacrifice. But can you imagine Moses ever even dreaming that God himself would take on flesh and tabernacle among us, and his name was Jesus? Or that God himself would send a son who would be our faithful, forever, eternal, high priest before God? Or what's more, that God's own Son would become the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. But that's just what God has done. That's just what the Gospel declares. Sin returns us to dust, but salvation rises us into an indestructible life immortal, invincible in faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the gospel news that we're saved by grace. The death of Christ propitiates, takes away the wrath of God that we deserve. The life of Christ is that righteousness that I don't have in myself, but I received clothed in Him by the fact that I've received him by faith. So his death satisfies the wrath of God. His life fulfills the righteousness that I don't have in of myself. And so we return to God. And thirdly, we, we rejoice through tears. That's what you see in all of the struggles, don't you, of Moses. Verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. And we have, haven't we? And so did Moses. But still through the tears, Moses received the joy of the Lord as his strength. And we can still rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't take away the memories of the pain. It doesn't remove that sting. But it fills our heart with comfort and balm and blessing and hope that this world is not our final home. That God is doing a new thing in Christ. Indeed, as John looks into heaven in Revelation chapter 15, Isn't it interesting that the sea of glass is there? What are they doing? They're singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? 
And then, finally, I didn't even hear a hallelujah. That's the best part of the sermon, when you finally hear that word. But uh, it's not always true. Most of the time we just say it and then we keep going. But um, recommit yourself to the work of God. You see that little outline? I've tried to remind you to, to reflect on your life, rejoice in, your, in the gifts of God, and then recommit to God's work. Because to know the Lord is not just to get saved and sit in your chair and wait for heaven. To be called to salvation is to be called to service. That's what God has done, given us the privilege to co-labor with Him in the work of the gospel. Who is going to tell your children about Jesus Christ if you don't? Are they going to hear about it in school? Do you think the public school is going to tell your grandchildren how to be saved? Do you think the public school is going to tell them how to know and follow the living God? Well, you're crazy if you think so. My brothers and sisters, our calling in life is to live and to speak the great news of the love of God in Jesus Christ. They have to see it. You have to struggle to live it. It's not easy. Even in your old age, it's not easy. But you've got to open your mouth. You need to tell them. Because nobody else will. We've been with parents across this country who've said to us, we can't even talk to our kids about Jesus We can't even talk to our grandchildren about Jesus. Well, then why are you alive if you can't talk to people about Jesus? That's why you're here. And so we recommit ourselves to the work of the gospel. That's what he says. Verse 16, May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses didn't want to do that work, remember? Remember the burning bush? God consuming the bush, but not consuming the bush? Moses says, I can't do that. you got to get Aaron to help me. But what did God do? God moved through Egypt with destroying power in the plagues. God opened the Red Sea. How does the work of God get done? God does it. But we're walking in that. Moses had to hold up his staff. Moses had to walk through the Red Sea. They had to open their mouths and eat that free lunch of the manna day by day. We're participants, but it's God who's the power. It's God who's the worker. And so we rejoice and we say, God, establish the work of our hands for the glory of your name. The glory of God from everlasting to everlasting. May we know him more this year. Father in heaven, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds 
through all that you have done through the creation, but even more through your salvation in the sending of your Son, our Savior. Lord, pour out your Spirit into each of our hearts. Revive us in our old age and give us the newness and joy and hope of Jesus Christ until we see him face to face and behold his glory. Amen. Sweet.
Spirit of the Lord is.